Hi, and welcome to Long Live the Queen, where we talk about the women who made history. And by we, I mean the royal we, because it's just me. Today, our subject is Philippa Gregory's The White Princess. It's a recap episode, guys. This week, I'm covering the first episode of The White Princess, based on the Philippa Gregory book, The White Princess. It starts with a lot of York imagery, because that was the ruling house of England. But then we see the red and white chess pieces, because the Lancastrians were still trying to defeat the Yorks, who had defeated them a generation before. Then we see a Lancastrian red rose and a York white rose, combining into the Tudor rose, because the houses of York and Lancaster would be united behind the Tudors. We see Elizabeth of York, who we are going to call Lizzie moving forward. Both her and her mother have the same name, so it can get confusing. And this is not the only time this episode we will be using nicknames because everybody shared about five or six names. So Elizabeth is the mother. Lizzie is the white princess. She's thinking about Richard. She then imagines him dying. King Richard III was her uncle, her father's younger brother, possibly the murderer of her younger brothers, and definitely the king that named her and all of her siblings illegitimate after their father, King Edward IV, died. Then we see her thinking about sex with King Richard. Because of all the reasons I mentioned before and more, this is awkward. There were rumors that King Richard was grooming his niece to be his next queen after the death of both his son, Edward, and his wife, Queen Anne. It is possible. It's also a popular thought that King Richard was just trying to ruin his niece's reputation with this rumor. Even though she was female, she would have been in front of her uncle for line of succession to the throne. In Philippa Gregory's version, King Richard III and his niece, Princess Elizabeth, were in love. King Richard III had gone off to fight Henry Tudor in the Battle of Bosworth Field. This would be a fight to the death. The surviving man would become King of England and Lizzie's new husband. She was kind of the spoils of war. Problematic, but back then also reality. She hears horses approaching. Henry Tudor killed Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth Field, making him the new King Henry VII. The king is dead. Long live the king. The Battle of Bosworth Field is the moment that the York dynasty ended and the Tudor dynasty started. The horses approaching were probably Tudor men coming to obtain Lizzie. Lizzie runs into the house and warns her family that Tudor soldiers are approaching. In this version, because no one knows for sure, Lizzie's family consists of her mother, one of her brothers, and her many sisters. Lizzie's mother, also named Elizabeth, busies herself preparing her son to hide. In this version, Elizabeth sent a body double instead of her second son to the tower. If the Tudors were to find him, he would likely be killed. While Elizabeth hides her son, Lizzie takes charge of her sisters. Prince Richard wants to stay and fight, 
but they are soldiers and he is just a little boy. His mother calls him my Perkin and tells him to go find Jan Warbeck. He will be safe there. This is foreshadowing for later when a man named Perkin Warbeck comes back claiming to be King Richard IV. Spoiler alert, there was never a King Richard IV of England. If England was ever to have a King Richard again, he would be King Richard IV. While Elizabeth was hiding her son, Lizzie confronts the Tudor soldiers. She speaks to them in French because King Henry's army was made up of a lot of French criminals. France had allowed Henry to release men who wanted to fight for him from prison. They were like, yeah, you can have all the army you can gather from prison. They tell Lizzie that King Henry has sent them to fetch her. Sir Thomas Stanley is there. He's the stepfather of King Henry. He has some words with Elizabeth, who he would know as the former queen. The Tudors are rounding up the York family, not just Elizabeth and her daughters, but also the rest of the Yorks. Cousins, an aunt, an uncle, and a grandmother. They ask what they did, and they're informed that they are considered traitors. And they ask how, how are they traitors? They haven't done anything against King Henry since he started his reign. But they are told that King Henry started his reign officially the day before the Battle of Bosworth Field. So anyone who was on Richard's side that day were traitors for not siding with the Tudors on that day. Cecily Neville is there, much older than we saw her last time. She was the mother of both Kings Edward IV and Richard III and grandmother to Lizzie and her siblings and cousins. Then we see Henry Tudor and his mother, Margaret Beaufort. Henry is now king, and Margaret is very, very pleased with the situation. We get an everything the light touches is yours moment. Margaret is the new queen mother and living her best life. Not hard in a life that was arguably very difficult. This, this was her moment. Henry wants to ban everything white in England, even the snow, because white represents the Yorks. Margaret is his biggest supporter, and she will assist him in whatever he needs. There were adjoining rooms to the king's rooms meant for the queen, but Margaret, our lady, the king's mother, informs everyone that she will take those. Rude. But what was she going to do? Give them to the soon-to-be York queen? Not on her life. Lizzie's disappointed with her newfound situation, and her mother tells her it's just a show of strength, and whatever you do, don't tell anyone about your brother still hiding in the house. Jasper Tudor shows up to meet Henry. Jasper is the uncle that raised him from 13 until their present. He was the uncle who helped gain support for Henry to regain the throne. Margaret asks Jasper how he is. There is some hinting by Philippa Gregory that Margaret had unrequited love for Jasper after her husband and Jasper's brother died just before she delivered King Henry. There is some tension and then her husband, Lord Stanley, shows up to remind everyone that she is a married woman. When Lizzie arrives at the castle, she sees her cousins, her aunt, her uncle, and her grandmother and she wonders why they are there. Her mother, Elizabeth, shares a showing look with a groom. The castle has a lot of the same people, 
working there is when she was queen, and she may have a few friends there. Edward's family is disappointed in the situation. This is not the England they knew. But Edward did kind of the same thing a generation before when power swapped the other direction. Elizabeth is there with her sisters and her orphan cousins, Maggie and Teddy, because their names are also Margaret and Edward, and there are too many of them to keep straight. So Maggie and Teddy are the orphan children of George, Duke of Clarence, and Isabel Neville. Maggie tells Teddy to keep quiet. They are still children, and this isn't a very safe situation. There has also been speculation that Teddy was mentally delayed. I don't think this is probably true. It was likely something said so that he wouldn't be a threat for the crown, or at the least exaggerated. And later when he's an adult, he will be an adult that was in prison since he was a child. That will cause anyone to seem delayed. It seems to me he was a relatively average child until he was imprisoned. But in this version, he seems to act much younger than he is. Lizzie's unhappy to see her father's castle being redecorated by the Tudors. The Tudors didn't want to live in a York palace. She also finds out that her soon-to-be mother-in-law is taking the queen's rooms instead of her. She says, maybe he plans to wed his mother. She would have known this was odd. Her parents used to be the king and queen of England, not that long ago, she knew that that's the rooms were meant for the king and his wife, not the king and his mother. Elizabeth points out that this marriage arrangement is to unite the houses of York and Lancaster. The Lancastrians backed Henry Tudor, and the Yorks supported Lizzie. Their marriage was the compromise. She then told her daughters to smile sweetly to their faces and watch what they say. This was an alliance, but they couldn't be trusted quite yet. Then we see King Henry again, and he is complaining about the Yorks. He says to stop the trade with Burgundy, because the Burgundians and the Yorks were tight. And Henry wanted to make it clear that the Tudors were in charge now. Margaret tells her son that since Richard killed the princess in the tower, Henry was their only choice. We don't know who killed the princes in the tower, or even if they were killed. All we know for sure is that they went missing while imprisoned on the orders of their uncle, King Richard III. Some people think Richard had them killed. Some people suspect Henry Tudor had them killed. And some people suspect Margaret Beaufort herself, with the help of Buckingham, had them killed. Others suspect they weren't killed at all. They escaped. We don't know because they were simply never seen again. Henry is now in the throne room, accepting allegiance. This was something most new kings did to make sure the people who served under the last king were willing to back the new king. Cecily Neville, the mother and grandmother of the last few kings, won't pledge her allegiance. She says he is just descended from a servant. And this was true. Henry Tudor's grandmother was Dowager Queen Catherine, and his grandfather was a steward in Catherine's household. They ran off in a terribly romantic and highly illegal elopement after the unexpected death of Catherine's husband, King Henry V. Jasper Tudor says, swear fidelity or go to the tower. 
Cecily, used to being the mother of the king, says, I dare you. Come at me, bro. Throw me in that tower. Let's see you do it. But you don't dare a tutor. And Jasper has the elderly woman arrested and put in the tower. Now it's time for her grandchildren, Maggie and Teddy, to swear allegiance. They are really leaning on Teddy being young and potentially delayed. And he shouts out, one day I'll be king. Everyone watching is appalled. That is treason and punishable by death, even for a child. Maggie says immediately, he didn't mean it. He just doesn't know. Their uncle Richard had named him heir, and Teddy just doesn't understand that their circumstances have changed. She promises that they will be loyal, and reminds him that they are, after all, just children. Royal orphan children. Maggie then whispers to Teddy, what did you used to say to Uncle Richard? And Teddy shouts, long live the king. This one simple phrase sets people at ease. Titles are being rearranged. They just finished a war and some nobles had died and some were considered traitors. So there were a lot of titles and lands to give out to all the men who had supported Henry's ascension to the throne. This was to pay them off a little bit for betraying Richard for Henry. Later, we see King Henry talking to his mother. He calls his soon-to-be wife a whore who laid with his enemy. That was her reputation, but we and him don't know for sure, and that's a bit harsh to say about the woman you are hoping to marry. But he isn't any more excited about this than she is. This marriage was set up by their mothers to strengthen their alliance. The couple had very little to say in the match. Margaret says, well, she's here. So like, what does he expect to do? He says, there are other York girls. Lizzie has a lot of sisters and even her cousin Maggie would be an option. Jasper asks Henry to at least meet her. Then we see Lizzie. Her sisters are all sleeping and her mother is writing to Jan Warbeck, asking for news of her son, Richard, the one she hid away. We see them all walking to Mass, maybe because they were all good Catholics, maybe because they were trying to be seen as good Catholics. Elizabeth says she forgot her prayer book, and Lizzie offers to go get it. The ladies, charged with watching them, have to make a choice. Follow Lizzie back to get the prayer book, or follow her mother to Mass, or split up. They decide Lizzie's the bigger threat, and follow her to get the prayer book. Elizabeth uses this distraction to sneak off to meet the groom. The groom is at the stables, and he calls the former queen your grace. That's what you would call the queen, so he is signaling that he is still loyal to her. She gives him the letter she wrote and asks him to make sure it's delivered safely. She also gives him a ring and says, return this to me when you have news. This was a cryptic way of sending a sensitive message to someone. Safer but not necessarily for him. There would be no reason for him to have a ring like that in his possession. He would have to really trust her to take it and keep it well hidden while he still had it. While returning to Mass, Elizabeth runs into Margaret, my lady the king's mother, and Margaret makes her curtsy. If you wonder why I keep saying my lady the king's mother, that was Margaret's official title. She had it made especially for her. This is... A controversial move, the curtsy. Elizabeth was former queen, 
And Margaret was the mother of the current king, but had never been queen herself. The curtsy should have gone the other way. But Margaret was making it clear that the Tudors were the ones in charge. Elizabeth doesn't curtsy because she knows the rules as former queen. Everyone except King Henry should curtsy to her. But her spies have just caught up, and they had arrived to mass with Lizzie and found her mother missing. They had messed up. They, of course, curtsy to Margaret, as they were supposed to. There is some verbal sparring about their children. Margaret says Lizzie may have to beg. Elizabeth says, well, she won't. Then later we see Henry and Margaret, and they are now going to meet with Lizzie and her mother and her sisters. Everyone in the room curtsies to King Henry except his possible wife, Lizzie. Henry takes this disrespectful move well and says, good day, Princess Elizabeth. This is a good sign. Lizzie had been demoted to Lady Elizabeth when her uncle had declared her a bastard. Henry was signaling that marrying him did not only make her queen, but would also legally re-legitimize her and her sisters. Elizabeth says, good day, your grace, indicating that she may accept him as king. Elizabeth seems worried that her daughter will lose her temper and causes a distraction by offering the king some wine and introduces her other daughters. Henry says his mother is arranging her allowance, showing that King Henry was going to defer to his mother on a lot of things. Henry then asks Lizzie to dance for him. Ask is in air quotes because she can't say no. What she can do, though, is make a face, indicating she is not excited about this dance. Henry then counters by asking her sister Cecily instead to dance, showing that he doesn't have to choose her if she's going to be difficult. Elizabeth sees this potential problem and suggests that the girls dance together. Cecily seems to enjoy the dance. She's flirty. Elizabeth is stoic. Dancing for an opportunity at marriage isn't really her vibe. King Henry is attractive, but stern. The fun guy, he is not. Margaret tells Elizabeth that her new motto should be humble and penitent, because Margaret is a controlling mother-in-law, and she probably thinks Elizabeth thinks too highly of herself, because she was, after all born, the oldest daughter of the King of England. Lizzie doesn't want to marry Henry, and just hopes some York supporter will come save her. The feeling is mutual. Henry doesn't want to marry Lizzie either. He thinks maybe a European princess with an alliance would be a better option. His mother reminds him that he does need to marry Elizabeth of York. She reminds him that they just deposed a York king, and the Yorks aren't happy. And the Yorks who did back him were mostly backing him because he pledged to marry a York princess. This doesn't seem like a huge deal, but here's why it was. King Edward IV was a beloved king. He fought Henry the Mad King for the throne, and this started an unusual time of peace in England. Sure, his brothers got a little bent out of shape at times and rebelled, but the Hundred Years' War was finally over. When Edward IV died, his 12-year-old son was supposed to be the next king but he went missing along with his brother. They were the princes in the tower. They were Edward and Richard, 12 and 10 respectively. 
the king, and his heir presumptive. But then they were declared illegitimate by their uncle, so they weren't eligible to rule. That same uncle became King Richard III. To this day, we don't know what happened to them. They simply were never seen again. Maybe they were killed, maybe they escaped. It's the mystery of the princes in the tower. Two child-sized remains were found in the tower in 1674. They have these remains, but no testing has been done. Queen Elizabeth II said she wasn't going to have them tested. She just wanted to let it be at rest. It is still possible that King Charles will have them tested, but we also may never know. So this incident fractured the York faction. They were split into Team Edward and Team Richard. This is when the Lancastrians saw their chance. They were like, look, I know the Mad King Henry wasn't a great look, but he's gone. And so is your good King Edward. Now we're all stuck with the tyrant, King Richard III, and it wasn't a great time. Now we call that time period the tyranny of King Richard. So the Lancastrian said, we have another King Henry, and he isn't mad. And if he marries the daughter of good King Edward, that could unite Team Edwards and the Lancastrians, leaving all the Team Richards out in the cold. But if the new King Henry didn't marry Lizzie, they could lose all of the Team Edward Yorkists, and they couldn't afford that. He had to marry Lizzie to keep his throne. Henry was a Welshman, and at the time, the Welsh didn't exactly have all the rights of the English. They were seen as second-class citizens. And Henry lived in exile in France since he was 13 or 14, so he was Welsh and French. He needed an English princess to keep the approval of the general public and the nobles. So his mother said, take any mistress you want, but you have to marry Elizabeth of York. She tells him that the sacrifice is his to make. But good news, suffering is divine. God will smile on you for it. This was a popular thought at the time with so much suffering. If you saw suffering as a gift from God to make you more holy, it was easier to take. Parliament says they must marry. They will only be backed as the dynamic duo. She was female, so she needed another half. And he was far too Lancastrian, Welsh, and French to be accepted on his own. But at least he was male. Lizzie's sister Cecily is mad jealous. She can see her sister doesn't want the job, and she thinks that being more enthusiastic would make Cecily a much better choice. Word comes to Lizzie that Henry wants to see her alone tonight. Lizzie says, no, that isn't proper. They aren't married. They can't be alone. Technically, by the social standards of the day, she is right. It would have been considered inappropriate for them to be alone together without a chaperone. But Elizabeth says, yes, of course she will, because as the former queen, she knows the unspoken rules. It isn't proper, but what the king wants, the king gets. Rules were made to be broken by kings and popes. Elizabeth tells her to give it a chance. Maybe they will grow to like each other. Love was not a requirement to get married, but there was always a chance that it would be a good match and the love would follow. Lizzie shows up to eat dinner with the king, alone, 
It's not unlike a date today would be, but dating wasn't a thing back then, and they were eating dinner in his quarters, so just outside his bedroom, kind of awkward placement for a first date. He says she should have brought her mother to chaperone. It appears he isn't aware that she was told to come alone. He assumes she came alone because she's a whore, so what does she care? And she gives him kind of a sorry, not sorry, because what else is she going to say? She was told to come alone, and then she's being chastised for that very same thing. He then says, come with me, and pulls her into his bedroom and locks the door. She is understandably alarmed by this and asks him if this is how he treats a lady. He says, no, this is how he treats a whore. Then says his mother thinks that they should marry, but only if Lizzie can have his baby, because that's her main job. She asks if his mother bid him to rape her, horrified. He says it isn't rape because they are going to be married. Not true, but at the time it was seen as accurate. And premarital sex was frowned upon, but if it resulted in a pregnancy, it was seen as supported by God. As long as it ended in marriage. And it was extra okay for kings. And in that time, wives couldn't be raped legally. It was just seen as part of what you signed up for when you got married. She says fine, then, since she has no choice, and sadly, that is hashtag facts. They awkwardly have sex. She's very much not happy about it. It is what I would call rape, or at least coerced, but she doesn't fight back because she doesn't think that's an option. I very much hope this didn't happen, that it's just a Philippa Gregory thing, but it very well could have. And they did have a baby eight months into their marriage. So the wedding would have happened around the time she found out she was pregnant. I just hope so badly that it was a mutual decision. He says he's finished and she says she didn't notice. And he says it was easy. He just thought about her sister. I want to believe this wasn't actually how it started. It wasn't this toxic. They do seem to fall in love at some point, and I just don't want it to have started this way. But it was a different time, and a time when this very well could have happened. It wouldn't even have been seen as wrong in this time period. When he says he thought about her sister, she slaps him. Understandable, but so very dangerous. It was treason to raise your hand to the king. It was treason to verbally threaten to raise your hand to the king. So this date was the opposite of romantic. She goes back to her rooms and upset, yells at her sister Cecily to leave. Her mother and her cousin Maggie come in and her mother asks what happens. Lizzie holds Maggie's hand and says, he's a bad man, Maggie, a horrible bad man. Elizabeth asks if he forced her and she says, no. I would argue kind of with that, but I think she's trying to keep her power because she knows he could have forced her. So she says he didn't win. She allowed him to. He will never beat her. Then we see Henry at the chapel. We assume asking for forgiveness because of his bad behavior. Cecily comes in. She can tell whatever happened during the dinner. It didn't end well. 
She apologizes for her sister and says she's different. She's not so subtly offering herself to the king. He doesn't like this and chastises her, saying she should be loyal to her sister. Then we cut to Henry at a later time, being overwhelmed. Kinging isn't the same as battling. He was good at battling, but now he's king. And that's a whole new job that he isn't sure he was prepared for properly. He says he needs a coronation before a wedding. He wants to make it clear that he is the king because he killed the last king. He isn't king because he married a York princess. It was important to him that he was seen as rightful king through conquest, not just a guy who made a good marriage. He doesn't know who he can trust. Valid, because earlier in this same episode, it was his mother-in-law that told her daughters to smile sweetly to their faces, but tell them nothing. His mother, Margaret, says he can trust her, but he has to learn this new king job. He says he will marry Lizzie, but only if she has his child. Henry has his Uncle Jasper looking for Lizzie's brothers, the princes in the tower. Some people suspect that he was the one who ordered their deaths after killing King Richard. But in this version, he doesn't know what happened to them either. Lizzie is called to meet her would-be mother-in-law, Margaret. Margaret tells her that they will have beautiful children. A fairly passive-aggressive way of saying she suspected what had happened, but it was likely God's will. And she was so pretty, so it would end with pretty babies. Margaret then says she wants to be friends. She says she has a lot of love to give, and she has just the one son that she had at the age of 13. It was kind of a... You think you have it bad? I got pregnant at 12, and look how good that turned out. My son is the king now. I'm assuming Margaret's childhood and lifetime of trauma is what led her to be all, suffering is God's will. It was a trauma response. She said she always knew Lizzie would be Henry's wife. Both of them were serving in the court of King Richard III, so they had interacted about it before, but it wasn't always positive. She says she knows what happened with Richard, and she was only upset about it because she felt that Elizabeth was screwing up her God-given destiny. She points out that any children Elizabeth has with Henry would make her the mother to the king, who is both Lancastrian and York. It would give England the peace after the Civil War that they called the Cousins War, but we call the Wars of the Roses. She says that being the mother of the king that brings final peace to England, will make sure that God himself will call her blessed. Again, I'm sure this attitude was a trauma response from Margaret, but she wasn't wrong about the peace that their baby having the correct DNA would bring. Then she says, Lizzie can go and basically go get pregnant so you can become queen. We then see King Henry going to his coronation. He gets cheers from the crowd. After all, he is the Lancastrian that put a stop to the tyranny of King Richard. A little ironic because at the time, tyrant meant a king who took the crown through right of conquest. So King Henry was literally a tyrant. But he was a far more likable tyrant than Richard had been, so cheers. That's how Lizzie's father had taken power from the mad King Henry.
It was a popularity contest. Factors that went into this popularity contest were youth, attractiveness, a healthy wife who could bear many healthy children, preferably including two to four boys. Healthy children were a must. And hopefully the ability to run England in a way that peasants didn't starve and nobles thrived. Elizabeth and her family weren't invited to the coronation. Rude. She was a big part of his Yorkist support, but he really wanted it to be clear that he was the king and she was going to be his wife, the queen consort, heavy on the consort. She was his plus one. Elizabeth does the 15th century version of lock yourself in a bathroom stall and pray for your menstrual cycle to start. She very much does not want to be pregnant, but this makes us think she is now late and very well maybe. Maggie goes to her aunt Elizabeth and says the groom stopped by and dropped this ring off. He says she dropped it and he was just returning it. That is the signal. He has word from Jan Warbeck. Lizzie asks her cousin Maggie to go into town and get her some herbs for her belly pain, her monthly course. We then see Elizabeth going to meet the groom. There's a letter saying there's no sign of her son. They are purposely making it confusing to whether or not he survived because today we still don't know for sure. It was and still is a mystery. The groom says he went to her house. It was looted. And he heard the Tudor soldiers were told to kill any boys they found there on orders of my lady, the king's mother. He says he found no dead boys there. Prince Richard is simply missing. Back at King Henry's coronation, he's officially king, crowned and anointed. We hear God save the king, the general nobility pledging their allegiance. Maggie then returns with herbs and Elizabeth recognizes them. She takes them to her daughter and basically says, WTF, I know what this is. It's mandrake, and it isn't 15th century Midal. She knows of two uses for mandrake, to give someone nightmares or to dislodge an unwanted pregnancy from a womb. So what do you want this for, Lizzie? Lizzie wants to marry for love, like her mother did. Elizabeth says, I had the good sense to fall in love with the king. Lizzie was all same. Unfortunately for her, that king was no longer living, and also her uncle. Elizabeth tells her that part of her life is over, and she's just going to have to make peace with it. Lizzie calls her baby a creature put inside her by a monster. Harsh, but we have to remember that though they didn't call it that at the time, she had just been sexually assaulted and was probably trying to work through that trauma. Elizabeth corrects her and calls the baby my grandchild. Lizzie was hoping that King Henry would pick someone else, but now she has no choice. Any other life she wanted was now gone. They talk about how Prince Richard is missing, but no bodies have been found, so there is still hope. Lizzie wants Elizabeth to kill the Tudors using magic. Elizabeth says no. And is it magic or is it just luck? that she calls magic. She asks how strong can her magic be if things have gone so badly for them. Then Elizabeth says, don't blame the baby. This baby will be ours, our own York Rose. 
they can raise this baby to reinstate York power. Tudors be damned. The herbs are then burned, but Elizabeth saves some out. Being back at the castle, Lizzie was raised in. Under these circumstances, must have been so, so strange. Imagine being held basically prisoner in your childhood home while everyone just redecorated to make it look not so much like your childhood home. Lizzie announces to the tutors that she is indeed pregnant, so there's no going back now. They will watch her closely now that she's pregnant with the heir to the first Tudor king. Margaret, my lady the king's mother, says it's God's will. That is exactly what she and most people of the time would have thought. This was like a heck yeah from God in their opinion. And also, it would indicate that Lizzie enjoyed herself while this assault was happening. Because that's what they believed. You could only get pregnant if you enjoyed yourself. Lizzie says she has to be married. She doesn't want this baby to be born out of wedlock. Margaret says her grandchild will be named Arthur. Okay, first, not your baby grandma. And second, you don't even know that it's a boy yet, but also tempting fate much. He was named after the legendary King Arthur because this was going to be the king that brought everlasting peace to England. And spoiler alert, England has never had a King Arthur, except of course, if you believe that the King Arthur was a real man named Arthur, and even then he would have been King of the Britons, England didn't exist yet. Margaret then tells Lizzie that she will take care of everything. All Lizzie has to do is show up and look happy. We can't have a dour bride now, can we? Lizzie says no. She wants to pick her own dress. That's fair. Margaret is pumped. She thinks her and Elizabeth will be able to bond over being grandmothers to the future king together. Okay. But, sorry to burst her bubble, we then see Elizabeth with that mandrake that she saved out, and she is indeed doing magic to poison Margaret's dreams and give her nightmares. And we see Margaret having a nightmare about the missing princes in the tower. They used to think that that is where nightmares came from. Someone must be doing magic to torture you. I don't know about you, but if I'm in her position, I'm also having nightmares. How could you not? For about 150 years, there has been much war by the English reigning families. Now, it was going to be her son and grandson at risk. Margaret then wakes up and hears a young boy say, My mother and sister cursed you for killing me. All your male heirs will die. Then Margaret wakes up again, this time for real, and grabs her rosary. She is shook. Okay, quick time out to appreciate the genius of Philippa Gregory. If you read the book series or watched The White Queen... Philippa Gregory proposes a theory. She theorizes that maybe Margaret Beaufort was responsible for ordering the death of the princes in the tower, and Elizabeth Woodville, her mother Jaquetta of Luxembourg, and her daughter Elizabeth of York put a curse on whoever killed the boys that their sons would also die. According to this theory, the Tudors can't have surviving boys. Right now we have King Henry, and he does have two boys, but one dies childless, and one is King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII had three children, two girls and a boy, but his son also died childless. This family was also now Elizabeth of York's family. 
They make a comment at one point that their magic is too strong and uncontrollable, and it comes around to get them. I don't think that's a fully true theory for different reasons, but it is poetic, and partially why I highly recommend Philippa Gregory as an author. She might actually be a literary genius. Strike that. I think she is actually a literary genius. But back to the story. It's the wedding day. Yay. Margaret tells her son that they have an heir, so he nailed that assignment. But also, by the way, God told me you need to get rid of Elizabeth. She will turn Lizzie against you. It was the whole God's will again. God wants your future mother-in-law in prison. He told me so himself. Then we see Lizzie in the wedding dress she chose herself, and it's red. The color on its own isn't so alarming. White wedding dresses weren't a thing yet, so color was expected. She was wearing red for whore and martyr, being all kinds of extra. But her sister points out that they will just think it's red for Lancaster, a show of support for the other side, and unifying. Lizzie is fine with that. Let them think what they think. She knows the real answer. Oh, and by the way, her motto won't be humble and penitent, like Margaret had told her. It will be hidden and patient. She will take the tutors down. She's thinking of going the Isabella of France route, using your son to take out your husband. And she can just put H's and P's on things, and they can just think what they think. It's royal wedding time, and like today, everyone is there. It's a major event, like major, major. And you couldn't just watch it on television like you do now. Be there or be square. Henry kneels at the altar, followed by a hesitant Elizabeth. It is really a will-she-won't-she she moment. Friends would be proud. It's the one where they get married. And they are married. And now it's time for the bedding ceremony. Gross. But Margaret, my lady the king's mother, was a huge fan of bedding ceremonies, and she was kind of the boss. And by kind of, I mean completely the boss. So the new royal couple is tucked into bed by a group and blessed by a priest, holy water everywhere. Then Lizzie's mother-in-law finally leaves, thank goodness. This whole ceremony was to ensure that the couple went to bed together to produce an heir. They already had that heir in the works. But Margaret Beaufort was nothing, if not performative. Henry then cuts her foot. No warning, no explanation. She doesn't even act afraid. I think I would have had a reaction, but you do you, girl. He says, well, we all know you're not a virgin, Prego, but we need to make it look like you were. And some blood drops onto their bedding. He doesn't want people saying his son is a bastard. Now time to sleep. She squeezes more blood out of her foot. She also doesn't want anyone saying her son is a bastard. That is what led her brothers to go missing and presumed dead. Hidden and patient indeed. And seen. If this piqued your interest, check out the show. It is The White Princess or the book of the same name. The book is so good. If you are wondering how they end up in love or if you want to see their children, just keep watching. This couple are parents of King Henry VIII and grandparents of Queen Elizabeth I. And Maggie that we've been talking so much about this time, 
is next week's episode, Margaret Plantagenet Pole. She was seen by a lot of people as meek, but I think she was so hardcore in a time when all of her relatives were being brutally murdered. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends. And if you hated it, please share with your enemies. I'm going to take a moment to pause and acknowledge something fun. We recently added our 25th country to the listenership, and that's all thanks to you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Long live to all the queens out there, and until next time, bye. Sir Tomley is there. Sir Tomley. No one's named Tomley. Sir Thomas Stanley. Thomas Stanley. Tomley. You should go by Tomley.